So the word distraction has kind of become synonymous culture. Um, that word has something that has entered into our homes all throughout America, not just uh, what we're dealing with now, but how many of you know we live in a much more distracted culture than we did 10 years ago? Um, we, we've got the age of internet, we've got the age of phones and technology and computers and all things that are going on um, continuously that are, are fighting and pulling our attention. This is what social media is so good at. We, we talked a little bit about this last week, but how many of you know if you scroll on social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you're you never come. You never come to the end of it. Like have you ever But they're going to fix it in just a moment. Um, but we never come to the end of social media. We never come to an end where it says, "Hey, it's over. Go enjoy the breeze. Get outside. Be with your family. You have one. You should probably go check on them." Like we we've never come to that point. So we we titled this series "Zombie" simply because. We're living in a culture where that's what a lot of our people look like. Rather than one of the main claims that we made last week is if you don't watch where you're going, you're going to end up at a place that you don't want to be. How many of you ever found yourself arriving at a certain destination of life and you go, I I don't like where I'm at right now? (laughs) Anybody? Like, I don't like where I currently find myself. I don't like where I find my emotional state. I don't like where I find my marriage. I don't like where I find my business or my finances or whatever it may be. And oftentimes, one of the things that we talked about is we arrive at that place simply because we're distracted from the things that really matter in our life. And so the main theme for this series comes from 1 Peter, and it simply says this, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. So what is is Peter saying? Um, If you look at it, he's not saying like the end of the world is coming, it's doomed, it's over. Actually, what he's saying is that your life is very short. And you don't really realize how much longer you have left. I think a lot of us kind of live in this distracted bubble where we literally think that, hey, I'm promised another 40, 50, 60 years. A lot of us in here, you're like me, if you're in your 30s or you're in your 20s or you're young, we live life almost recklessly, right? We live life. How many of you, any, any like adrenaline junkies out here? Anybody, you like maybe like jumping off some things that you should Like I'm an adrenaline junkie. I, I remember when I was a little bit younger, I used to literally think that I was invincible. This is not a joke, and my wife could tell you I'm such an adrenaline junkie. I've come close to death uh, numerous times. I was in Cozumel one time, and they had this huge geyser out of this cliff, and and, and they have all these signs that say, um, don't stick your head over the geyser that blows water. And I'm like, that sign is a suggestion. It's not really mandatory. Like, I, I need to stick my head over this thing. And I remember looking over this geyser and all these people are snapping pictures and as I'm looking over it this water comes in you have this split second of like oh wow that wave is a lot bigger than I thought it would be right and that wave comes in sucks me over pulls me down into this hole and somehow I grab on by my left hand and I'm holding onto this cliff by like by dear life and there's all these men that rush up and they pull me up and save my life but I remember in that 20 21 22 year old kind of span of life you think man I am just completely invincible right but we learned last week in Psalms 39 it says Lord remind me of how brief my life is remind me that my days are are numbered and the reason that we're talking about distraction throughout this throughout this series is simply because of this I think 
that most of us in today's culture are so distracted from the reality of where our lives are really at in the place that we have currently arrived at that we're not aware of it. We're not numbering our days. We live as if we are invincible. And the truth is, rather than dealing with issues that we really should be dealing with, we're suppressing them. And this is why depression is on a rise. This is why anxiety is on a rise. This is why suicide is on a rise. This is why alcoholism is on a rise. This is why popping pills is on a rise. All these suppressants. I mean, if you look at it, it's, like, it's a pandemic. It really is. It's an epidemic that's plaguing not just America, but all over Europe and Asia and China. People are just, they're more anxious than they've ever been. They're more depressed than they've ever been. Why? Because we're distracting ourselves. Rather than dealing with real issues, we would rather distract ourselves. So the question that I want to pose in, in today's message is simply this, is why do we feel the need to take so many pictures and videos of everything? Why, why do we feel the need? Like, how many of you guys, like, ever since you got a smartphone, you have been snapping every moment of your child that you possibly can? Um, let me ask you another question. Where are you keeping all those photos? <laughs> yeah, so you don't even know. You don't know. Some of you, you have pictures from like 10 years ago that will that, probably never be printed, that are probably like in some kind of like cyberspace somewhere that will never be viewed. Anybody remember Photo Bucket? <laughs> you got pictures stored everywhere. Why do we feel the need to take pictures of everything. I want to show you a picture of something real quick. If, guys, can you throw that picture on the screen real quick? I want you to check this out. This is 2005. Now notice, this was the Pope's inauguration in 2005. Now when he was inaugurated in 2005, you don't see a single screen, camera, smartphone, opener, anything. And you fast forward just about 10 years into 2013 and look at that picture. It is lit up with cameras and smartphones, like this device has changed our world. Like I, 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 what, what kind of drives me crazy is I've been to some pretty cool concerts in my life. I remember one of the coolest concerts I went to, my wife surprised me a few years ago, and she brought me to one of my favorite bands, which is, which is U2, and we're sitting at this Verizon wireless um, stadium, and there's about 80,000 people like just screaming out lyrics. And what I noticed in this stadium is nobody is looking at the stage. Everybody is viewing it through this. It's almost like, why don't you just sit at home and watch it, live stream it, because you can get the same experience, because you're staring at the whole thing through your little four by four, or four, four and a half, three and inch screen, whatever it may be. Why do we feel the need to take pictures of everything? Why do we feel the need to live vicariously through our pictures and through our posts on social media and Instagram or whatever our outlet of choice is? Let's take it even a step Further, and why do we feel the need to post every opinion that we have ever had on social media? Why, why do we feel the need to do these things? I would argue that most of us are so busy capturing life that we forget to experience it. We're, we're so busy capturing it that we're not actually experiencing it. Have, have you ever noticed this? Have you seen the scene? You've seen the scene at a birthday party, right? Like the kid's about to blow out the cake and the mom is only worried about getting her 15 seconds on video because I have to have an awesome post on Facebook, right? And, and in, rather than living in the moment and just allowing the kid to enjoy the cake and blow out the candles, you're so worried about getting the perfect picture. See, we're more interested in capturing life than actually experiencing it. But as I said earlier, and, and most of us today, we're more interested than sharing our opinions, 
We're more interested in, man, I want, I want to share my opinion on Facebook so something happens in today's world, right? Well, you got, obviously you have an opinion about that. So we've got to share it. Let me just give you a little bit of advice. Can I be honest with you? Some thoughts should never leave your brain. <laughs> Some thoughts should never leave your brain. Because some of the things, most of you, most of you post things that you would never say out loud. But it's all of a sudden, it's like we get behind a screen, we're like, oh yeah, I'll tell them right now. And then when you see them, when you see them, it, it, like you see them like at Walmart or something, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> like, and you run off, right? So here's what I want you to do. Just a little challenge, okay? Just a little challenge for all of you guys. Try this. When you have a negative thought about somebody else, keep it to yourself. When you have an opinion that may stir up controversy, keep it to yourself. <laughs> so why do we do this? Why do we feel the need to constantly post these things? You know, I think it's because people tell us all the time there's no such thing as a dumb question. Can I tell you, there is. <laughs> there is. So, <laughs> I, and just to confirm this, I spent some time scrolling through Facebook, looking at different recommendations and different questions that people ask, and I will leave these people anonymous, um, but just to prove to you that dumb questions exist, okay, let me, let me read a few of them. This is a guy, he posts this out, he said, my wife is pregnant with twins, does it take 18 months for twins to be born or nine? <laughs> You probably should have just kept that to yourself, right? <laughs> Here's another one. <laughs> to my calculation, if I save $38 each week and I can have a million dollars within three years, sounds like a plan to me. Um, that's about $6,000. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, this one is crazy. When people are cremated, how do we know it doesn't hurt? We don't know. <laughs> we don't. We don't know. Here's another one. We see, we see stuff like this all the time. How about this one? A person who loves you will never kick you when you're down or pour salad on your wounds. What? What is that? What? You have a weird relationship. Here's another one. <laughs> this is funny. Um, Ebola has reached Dallas. I'm packing my bags and moving to Texas. I can't stay in this disease country any longer. What? <laughs> oh, man. Here's the, I saved the best one for last. Here you go. Happy Labor Day. Be thankful for all the mothers who went into labor for their kids. That's what this holiday is all about. Why do we feel the need to share everything, every opinion, every picture, every video that we have? Can I be honest with you? Here's the first point that I want to make. We like to be liked. We like to be liked. Let me take that a step further. Some of you, you need to be liked. You need it. You need the approval. The reason that we share Everything, the reason that we put our lives forward on social media is because we want approval. Scientists have actually proven and psychologists have actually proven over the past 10 years that when you get a like on Facebook and you get that little red notification that endorphins actually run through your body. Like you get a little high 
You ever posted something and maybe posted a picture? And like in your mind, as you're sculpting this post, you're like, this is going to be 100 likes. I know it. It's about 100. It's probably 100 right here. And then when you post it, you get like 10 and you're depressed, you know? But as you keep getting those little red, you know, notifications, those likes, it sends these endorphins through our body. The truth is we like to be liked. We want people to affirm us. We like when people approve of us. And, and there's a part of us that this is not bad. Okay, God actually wired us and designed us to be approved by him. See, the problem with social media is it distracts us and we get our approval from the wrong source. It's why we feel empty. So rather than getting approval from the creator, rather than God saying, man, you are enough with just who you are, we're looking for it in all these other places. Tony Schwartz put it this way. He said, we each want desperately to matter, to feel a sense of worthiness. Like we all want to matter. Nobody wakes up in the morning and just says, you know what? I want my life to suck. (laughs) I don't want my life to matter. Like we we all have this sense of like, I, I want what I do matter. There's an author by the name of John Eldridge, and he says, men and women are asking different questions about their worth. And I think it's so true. He said, he said, men ask this question. He said, for all of you men, this is what you ask. He says, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? So, so let me prove it to you and, and pose it in this way. Young boys are asking these questions in different forms all the time. So, so this is what they ask. If you have boys, and I, I have four of them, they say, Dad, watch how far I can throw this ball. Okay, I've watched you like 50 times, but I'll watch you again. I say, okay, Dad, watch how high I can jump. Okay, I'm going to watch you. How high. I, have, I have Timothy, who, who is my two-year-old. He, he does this all the time. I'll be sitting on the couch. I'll be reading. He's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. I'm like, what, Timmy? He's like, watch me. Like, all right, that was awesome. And then he'll do it again. Dad, watch me. And he'll jump. I'm like, that is amazing. Dad, look how fast I can run. Dad, look how far I can throw this ball. Dad, look how good I am at drawing. What is he asking? Dad, do, do I have what it takes? See, this translates into men as well. See, when we're a grown men, we're still asking this question. Do, do I lead my family well? Do I lead my family? Am I providing well enough for my family? Do I have what it takes? If you own a business, you say, man, am I a good enough boss? Do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? Am I valuable? See, women ask a completely different question, but it's still the same question. They just ask it in a different way. He says, they ask this, am I a beauty to be treasured? Am I a beauty to be treasured? See, I have one little girl about to have another one, and I see this play out with her all the time. It's not, Dad, look how far I can throw this ball. It's, Dad, look at my princess dress. You like it? Hey, Dad, look at my nails. They're sparkly. Dad, look at my shoes. Or look at my hair. Mom straightened it. She flattened it. Do you like them? Do you approve of them? Is it pretty enough? Am I a beauty to be cherished? Dad, am I capturing your attention? But see, grown women ask the same thing, don't we? We still want to know the same thing. Am I valuable? Am I beautiful? Can I be cherished? Men, your wife is asking you this question every single day. Am I good enough to still win you over? 
It's the question that men and women ask. Now, why do we ask these questions? Why do we all want to matter? Why do we all want to be valuable? Why do we all want to be good enough or valuable or cherished? You know what we call this? We call this our identity. We call this our identity. And everyone builds their identity on something. Everyone builds their identity on something. Whatever you build your identity on is the thing that makes you feel like you're worth it. So oftentimes you see this, men will build their identity on their job. That's why they ask the question, do I have what it takes? They build their identity on the skills that they have or the giftings that they have or the way that God's wired them. They build their identity on how well that they can talk, how well they can perform. It's why, why, why sometimes when you see men that maybe they go out and they're amazing at their job and they're hardworking and then they get injured and they get hurt and their life just spirals down into depression. Why? It's not because they got injured and it's not because they got hurt. It's because they don't know who they are anymore because their identity is lost. It's gone. It was never built on Jesus. It was built on something that could be taken from them. And once that thing is taken from you, who are you? See, I'll put it another way. We're all looking to build our identity on something. And if that something is taken away, what would you be? What would you be? Well, you ask the question, well, how do I know what I'm building my identity on? Just another question, if you lost it, who would you be? Whatever it is that you're building, if you lost that job, or or moms, if you lost that, that sense of being a mother, like who would you be? What are you building your identity on? See, oftentimes, sadly, we build our identity on what we do, right? So, so for me, it'd be like, okay, if I'm doing well as a pastor, then guess what? I feel good about myself. If the church is growing and we have a big Sunday and there's all these people coming, then you know what? I feel good about myself if my identity is built on that. But then if we have a bad Sunday and I felt like, man, people were disgruntled and we didn't have as many people and all this stuff, then what happens? I sink down low. Why? Because my identity is built on what I do rather than who I am in Christ. See, Jesus describes this in the New Testament as a man who built his house on the rock, and he also described it as a man who built his house on the sand. He said, the man who built his house on a rock, the man who built his identity on me, when the storms of life came, and they ran him over, and the waters and the rains came, guess what? He stood still, because his foundation was me. But then he gives another, another parable about a man. He says, a man who built his identity on something that he did, something that's like sand. It can be washed out from underneath you. And here's what he says in Matthew 7, 26, verse 27. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man, who built his house on the sand. And when the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And I love how it words it here in the ESV. It says, with a great crash. It doesn't just say that it fell. I love the emphasis that the author puts on this verse. He says, and it fell, but it fell in a great way. See, when we build our identity on anything other than Jesus, it will not last. You can build it on what you do. And and you know what? For years, you may feel confident about yourself. 
My identity is rock solid in who I am and what I do, but if that gets taken away from you, it's like building your house on the sand when the storms and the tragedies of life come, and maybe they haven't hit you yet, but can I be honest with you? They will come. They will come. And, and here's what the, the sad thing about this, this verse. Let me give you a little context about this verse. But all throughout the New Testament, and even all throughout the Old Testament, rain, the word rain is symbolic with blessing. So I want you to notice something here. When your identity is not built on Christ, the blessings of God will no longer bless you. They will change you. So, so let me put it like this. So let's say your identity is built on, it's a, let's say it's a sand sound foundation. It's built on what you do. And God begins to bless you. You're working a good job and you get a raise. And you start making more money and you, you get a new house and you get a new car. And rather than being blessed by the rain that God is blessing upon you, it changes you. And rather than becoming generous, you become greedy and stiff. So let me explain this. Sometimes when you make more money or sometimes when God is blessing you, if your identity is not built on him, even your success will ruin you. Even your success will ruin you. Even the blessings that God meant to send your way to bless you, it ruins you if your identity is not built on him. See, you cannot build a lasting, durable identity on anything but Christ. On anything but Christ. The only way that your identity is going to last is if it's built on Jesus. But see, in the age that we live in, in this social media age, in this internet age, in this technology age, in this distracted age, everything is fighting for your attention. Everything is fighting for your identity. That's why I started this whole message off with, why do we feel the need to post everything? We feel the need to post everything because we're looking for somebody to approve of us. We're looking for a like. We're looking for a comment. We're looking for our platforms to expand. See, you can build your identity on your career for a while, but what happens when something threatens it? The sad truth is so many people build our, our identity on things that can so easily be taken away from us. And the only way that our identity will remain unshakable is to build it on something that can never be taken away, which is Jesus. Now, you know what I find interesting? And I, I was reading another author who was contrasting this verse that I just read to you in Matthew 7. And I, I don't think we often talk about it this way, but he says, you know, the man that built the house rock you know that his identity was built on Jesus and then you have this man who built his house on the sand who his identity was built on things that could be taken away and the storms of life came and you know it wiped his house out it wiped out who he was his identity was lost but he said you know what I find interesting about the man who built his house on a rock he said the only way that we look at it in life is oftentimes the only way that we can ever build our foundation on the rock is if we're willing to go through pain now, let me, put it, let me give you a phrase that will bring this to life of what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever heard, man, I just hit rock bottom? Like, you've just hit a low point in your life. Do you often realize this? When you go through certain things in life and you feel like you're at rock bottom, that God is actually trying to build a foundation in you? He's actually trying to build a bedrock. 
He's actually trying to bring you down to a place where you felt this is uncomfortable. He said, but if you can endure this pain, this pain will cement your identity in me. Because if you can learn to identify with who you are in me, guess what? When other things come to tempt you and you want to build your foundation on something that is temporal, you'll know. The only foundation that I can build my life upon is Christ. But the problem is we get distracted. The problem is social media comes up. The problem is Netflix comes up. The problem is TV comes up. The problem is when we deal with different issues, the hard issues of life, it's just so easy to distract ourselves from dealing with them. I want to read to you a very convicting passage in Luke 10. And uh, for me, when I read this passage, this is what gave me this idea for this series. Um, and, And it's this. It says in verse 38, it says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, I want you to watch something, okay? So she, she sees Jesus. Okay, Jesus is coming over to have dinner at my house. Now, let me just pause here. If you heard Jesus was coming over to your house, what would you be doing? You'd be, you better pick up that room right now. Like, Jesus is not going to see our dirty socks all over the place, right? What are you going to do? You're going to clean. You're going to get it ready. You're going to make sure that your house, it's smelling good. It hasn't smelled good in a month, but you're about to light a candle. (laughs) When people come over to our house, we have one bathroom. We have two bathrooms in our house, and we have one in the middle hallway, and kind of right in the living room, and right before people come over, we lock that bathroom. We're like, nobody's pooping in this bathroom, because it's going to smell the entire house. You better go to ours, right? What do you do? You You try to put your best foot forward when somebody comes over. So, So Martha hears that Jesus is coming over, and so she's tidying up her house. It says, Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But watch this, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all the details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Watch this. There's two things that are going on in this verse. verse. Martha wanted Jesus to notice two things. Number one, she wanted Jesus to say, she she, she wanted Jesus to recognize all the work that she was doing. Look at my clean house. Look at the dinner that I'm preparing. What is, she, what is she doing in that moment? Jesus, approve of me for everything that I am doing. I need your approval because I have a clean house. I want your approval because I prepared you an excellent dinner. And the house is clean and it's tidy and the kids are on their best behavior and you can just sit down and have your meal. She's saying, Jesus, approve that everything is in order. The second thing that we notice is that, what? what? She's saying, Jesus, do you approve? Do you approve of this performance that I'm putting on? And the thing that I love is Jesus looks over at her and, and he says this. He says, Martha, he says, your sister, the one that is sitting at my feet, just listening to me, being with me, not being distracted, she gets it and you missed it. So it leads me to this point. 
When your identity comes from your performance, you miss Jesus. You miss Jesus. See, Mary did not feel the pressure to perform for Jesus, and therefore she was able to be with Jesus. See, when we feel this pressure, why do we, why do we feel like we need to post everything? Because we, we want to perform. We want approval. Because if we're honest with ourselves, a part of our identity is in that. There's a guy by the name of Bo Burnham, and he's a, he's a social media, I guess you could call it, star. He started on YouTube and grew a big channel and a big following, and now he's doing uh, comedy all over. He's traveling all over the place. And he quoted this. This is, this is a 26-year-old male who is extremely successful. He's made millions of dollars off of YouTube. He, he has a tour that travels all over America now, and he says this about social media. He said, social media... It's the market's answer to a generation that demanded to perform. So the market said, here, perform everything to each other all the time for no reason. It's prison. It's horrific. Now, this is a guy who's built his identity, his brand, who he is on social media. And he's saying, man, it's prison and it's horrific. It's horrific. See, when your identity is built on your performance, what happens when you can't perform anymore? What happens when you can't perform anymore? I remember um, when we were doing the when we were serving in the flood of, of last year, and uh, we were doing different relief efforts. And one of the one of the ways that we rallied up volunteers was via social media. For people to come and help us. It was the primary way that we got people to come and help us serve. I mean, we had hundreds, hundreds of volunteers. And I, I remember throughout this entire process, I remember um, when I got on my social media, I started doing a live video, and I said, look, this is what our church is going to do. We're going to serve here. We're going to do this. And I remember the second time that I got on, I saw um, the amount of people watching went from 10 to like 120 people watching the live feed. And then all of a sudden, it's getting shared like 200, 300, 400 times. And I remember this question of, of people asking me throughout this whole process, are you going to do another live video so we can know what's going on? And, and in my mind, I was like, well, I wasn't planning on it, but I am now. <laughs> right? And then over the, the next few weeks as we begin to serve and it's tiring and it's draining and still having to keep up this appearance on social media that, hey, it's awesome, it's great, when really you're wanting to go, I'm burnt out, tired, and I don't want to volunteer for this thing anymore. <laughs> right? But now because I feel this, what? i got to perform. Because now I've got people watching and people thinking about us and people looking at our church and people looking at me. What kind of person are you? Because at the time, I mean, we had been a church for barely even two years at the time. People barely knew who we were. Wasn't planning on posting another live video, video but what do you do all throughout the next few weeks? You do it over and over and over again because now you've got to keep up the appearances, right? Now you've got to keep performing. You see, when your identity is built on your performance, it is exhausting and you miss Jesus. But I love what Paul says about our identity. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians verse 4, starting, I mean, chapter 4, verse 3. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Now, what is he saying? He said, I, I could care less what you say about me. He said, indeed, I don't even judge myself. 
He said, I don't care what you say about me. He said, I, I might have some low thoughts about myself, but that's not who I really am. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. Now, what is Paul saying? He's saying, rather than finding my identity from others, rather than, than, than finding this approval by who other people say that I am, I find it in who Jesus says that I am. Now, when you read this verse, how many of you have ever heard this phrase, and, and it's so popular we even tattoo it on ourselves, right? How many of you have ever heard that only the Lord can judge me? They like totally like misquote this verse, right? See, we typically say this phrase like only the Lord can, we, we typically say this when we have done something wrong, it's a cop-out, right? When we know that we have done something wrong, and we're like, well, only the Lord can judge me. You can't judge me. But when we know we're usually in the wrong, can I just be honest with you? That phrase, it is the Lord who judged me, that phrase should terrify you. It, it, it should not be a cop. It should terrify you. See, when you stand before the Lord one day, you will not be able to, to point to how well you performed. You will not be able to point to, well, God, I did all this. Look at the meal I prepared. Look at the soul. God, I have 10,000 people following me on Facebook. <laughs> See, when you stand before the Lord, when, when it says, it is the Lord who judges me, I, I want that phrase to sink in for a second for you. It should scare you. It should terrify you. Because let me tell you, let me just read it. Verse 5, continuing on what Paul says. He says, he will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and expose the motives of the heart. At that time, watch this, each will receive their praise from God. What is he saying? You will be graded by who God says you are, not by your performance. So when you stand by, before the Lord one day, you will not be able to point to and say, man, man, God, look, look at everything that I've done. Look what I've built. Look what I've accomplished. Look at the business. Look how much money I've made. Look at, look at what I've done. And see, that's the danger of social media. See, social media oftentimes, it, it is, not oftentimes, most of the time, it is the highlight reel of our life. It's not real life. It is the highlight reel. What do I mean by that? Social media is the place where we go and we post our anniversary celebration, right? We, we, we set it up real night with babe, post, no, hold, it, hold the glass like that, no, like that, okay? And your wife's like, no, I want you to do the up shot. It doesn't make me look at, you know, do up. <laughs> and what do we do before we ever post any, oh, my, my hair's out of whack in that one, take it again. No, I don't like that angle. No, I don't like that angle. Perfect. And then what do we do? Before we ever post it, I'm going to put about 5 million filters on it. By this time, you look like Ken the Barbie. Like, it's like obvious that you have a filter on it. Bambi. What is the thing? I'm not even going to get into that. Um, but what do we do? We post anniversary celebrations. We post birthday parties. We post the steak dinner. We post every highlight of our life. And so everybody can follow you and be like, oh man, I wish I could live their life. Their life is just so good. Look, look at them, drinking coffee again. We never drink coffee together. 
Just look, they're so cute. They're so romantic. Let's just get real for a moment. But what we don't post on social media is we say, yeah, when I was out at that date last night, I looked at that other woman and I had thoughts about her. We don't post that, do we? No, no, nobody posts their secret fantasy life on, on Facebook. N- nobody posts the things that you don't want anybody to hear. Nobody gets on and be like, last night, wow, wasn't, here's the thoughts that I had. Like, nobody does that, right? We, we put our best foot forward on social media. Why? Because we want to perform and we want everybody to think our lives is a whole lot better than it actually is. But the truth is, Jesus knows every dark thought you have. And the crazy thing is, he loves us even though he knows it. He loves us even though he knows it, even though he knows every single thought that you think. Look, look, Jesus is not fooled by your social media account. Jesus doesn't look at your social media, oh, Zach's doing well. (laughs) Went on a date with his wife last, yesterday, he did this, he did great. He's not impressed by that. You know what I love about this? Is if we can let this sink into our hearts, we can understand that we don't have to perform for God. We may feel the need to perform for everybody else, but the, the, the whole thing that I want you to get in your head this morning is you don't have to put on a performance for Jesus. And if you can learn this, you will stop performing for other people as well. Do you ever notice the most attractive people in the world are not necessarily the most like, um, physically good-looking people? The most attractive people in the world is when they walk into a room and you just know that they're themselves. Like, they don't, you, you don't, they don't care what anybody else thinks. They can just be themselves. They can make corny jokes and laugh at it, and nobody else will laugh. But they're like, I'm confident in it. <laughs> like, I don't care. The most attractive people in the world are the ones that are just confident in who they are. And not in, a, not in the arrogance. Not in this prideful way, but in this confidence of, man, my identity is secure in Christ, and I don't have to perform for anybody. Now, we don't have to perform simply because of what Romans 5, 8 says. It says, because God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, while we were at our darkest, while we were at our worst, it says God still intervened. It, it doesn't say, like, God intervened when you were, like, at your best. And then he finally went, okay, I can, I can save you now because you've cleaned up a bunch of stuff about your life. So I'll reach in now and save you. So do do you know what this means? You can stop performing. You can stop performing. You can stop feeling the need to put your best foot forward. Because if you can root your identity in Jesus, there is going to be a security that will overwhelm you that you have never felt before. See, every human being in this room, on this planet, on this earth, is looking, searching, longing for security in identity, in something to anchor themselves to that says, I'm worth it. And the only thing that that is going to be is Jesus. 
So you can stop worrying about how many likes you get or how many comments you get or how big your platform is. You can stop worrying about how many people notice you or pay attention to you or when you walk into a room and somebody didn't make eye contact with me or they didn't shake my hand. Rather than you being offended by that, you can just go, man, I'm confident in who I am. God loves me and that's enough. So I want to close with this. You can stop performing because you can rest in knowing that Jesus performed on your behalf. He already did it. Like the performance that you try to act out every single day to get your approval, Jesus already did it. He doesn't need your performance. See, over 2,000 years ago, he sent his one and only son to the cross for the ultimate performance to die for you, as Romans 5 says, while you were still sinning, while you were at your worst, while you were at your darkest. Can I tell you this? If you're in here today and you say, man, I'm in here because I, like, I just need some hope. I need Jesus. I don't know where my life is going. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. My girlfriend left me. My marriage feels like it's over. My finances are a mess. Wherever you're at, can I just be honest with you? You can go and try to find your identity in a thousand things. You can buy things to try to make yourself feel good. You can drown yourself in a Netflix series and on Facebook, and hopefully the, the, the pain will just go away. It never does. It always gets worse. The only thing that is going to satisfy you is an authentic, real, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. See, at the end of the day, the only way that that emptiness is going to be filled is Jesus. It's Jesus. So here's what I want to call us to over this next series. We're going to continue even in the next two weeks coming up, talk about this idea of distraction and how it's robbing our culture, what social media is doing to us. I read an article in the Washington Post yesterday there's a psychologist that has been analyzing social media for about 10 years, and that's really about how old it is now. Been analyzing it for about 10 years, and it says the more that you check your phone every single day, the less intelligent you become. <laughs> the less intelligent you become. The, the le- here's, here's, what's, here's the bad thing about social media and the constant access to this thing is you don't learn to think for yourself anymore. You, you, don't even, you, can't, you don't even formulate your own opinion of how you view the world anymore. It, it's what everybody else thinks. It's why so many of us have a problem with our identity. It's, it's why so many of us don't know who we are because we're, we're lost in living vicariously through everybody else's life that we forgot to live our own. So in the middle of this distracted culture, I want to point you back to this scripture that I read in the beginning and I read it last week. 1 Peter 4, 7. It says, the end of all things is near. What is Peter saying? Your life is drawing to an end. You don't know how many more days you have left. But then why, it is, why is he wanting us to realize this? He's wanting us to realize it because therefore be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. That's the whole goal of this series that you can walk out of this series, that you can walk out of hopefully this, this, what we're going to walk through over the next few weeks and say, man, I'm just setting aside some distractions. So for some of you practically, that means maybe you just need to take a break from your phone. 
from some of you, some of you just maybe you need to go home and you really need to pray. Like, God, what do you want me to do? What are the things that are distracting me? And I understand. I know that there's a generation in here that maybe, maybe the phone is not a distraction for you. Maybe it's not a distraction. What is though? We all have them. Maybe it's a hobby. <laughs> Whatever it is, I just, I just want you to take a moment, have a moment of clarity this, uh, this week and just maybe get five minutes by yourself and like, God, what are the things that are getting in the way? What are the things that are distracting me? And help me get to a place where, like First Peter says, where I can be clear-minded, where I can be self-controlled so that I can pray, so that I can have a conversation with God and out of that conversation, my relationship with Him begins to take off, it begins to develop, it begins to flourish and I, and I get that peace and that joy that I've been longing for. Let's pray. Father.